Hey everybody, it's Dave here, Darren over there, where your two old bloggers been commenting publicly on this team for over two decades apiece. Today, we don't have three themes, we have four. But we're going to start out as normal with our first three. Our first three focus around the first one in appreciation of Eric Kendrick's as we know, the bloodletting has started as the Vikings work to get under the cap. The first cap casualty of that was Eric Kendricks. Our second theme is about Quasi, and is he doing the right stuff? Continuing with that, is he culling the herd? Third theme, we're going into the state of the Vikings, the safeties. And, of course, the lead safety, the one we all love, Mr. Hitman, is also a possible cap casualty in the future. We'll talk about that. Don't know. And then finally, because our hearts are all heavy, we're going to talk about the legend, the great Bud Grant, as we all got the news this morning that he passed. Next Climb in the pocket, Bailey Norseman and Lake Monster Brewing presents Two Old Bloggers. Starting now. Hey everybody, it's Dave and Darren again. As normal, how are things in the Great White North, Darren? They they were uh they were good, Dave, until I got the news this morning, like we all did about Coach Grant's passing, that's just a real bummer, and we're going to get into it later. But uh, beautiful sunny day but uh, uh, here, but um, typical kind of March, beautiful sunny day, about minus 20 Celsius. Uh, Bud Grant would love playing in this weather. <clears throat> well, I just looked on my phone prior. It's showing Yellowknife at zero, but a minus 20 Celsius wind chill, which has got to be cold. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, well, when the sun's shining and you got a lot more daylight, it, you don't seem to notice it as much, Dave. Good <laughs> snowmobiling weather for people, too. Well, that that I bet. I know up in North Dakota, they love doing that. Uh, the only thing they had to look out for was buried stumps under the snow. Um, yes. Well, it's a nice, beautiful day here in Austin. We've gotten up to as high as 89. I think that's about 31 Celsius. Your temps, it's been a little warm, but the glow of the day has been diminished a little bit. And that is because we all saw this tweet this morning from the Vikings that Minnesota Vikings legend, head coach Bud Grant, passed away today at the age of 95. He lived a long life, great life. He means a lot to us. I ask that you all that are watching hold off on your comments on Bud until we get into theme four. We will get into it. Um, With me, it's personal, and I'm sure it is with a lot of you. We've got some great memories, but let's go on to what was originally scheduled because the Vikings still have business to do. (laughs) And we started out naming this episode... The culling begins. This is where 
Quasi Adolfo Menzo, and in conjunction with Kevin O'Connell and his staff, work to get the team under the cap because they started out approximately $25 million over, if I remember correctly, and they've made taking steps to get under. And they've got to not only get just to zero, they need to get further down than that so that they can play in the free agent market and have money to sign rookies when we get to that point, uh, etc. So, the bloodletting, like the red wedding, has started, and thus the theme art. On to theme one. And, of course, there we go. That's a little out of sync, because Dave's not thinking quite straight today. First Understandable. One, Eric Kendricks, a Viking, 2015 to 2022. And Dave, I, I, I'm not sure. People probably don't know exactly how we we work the show here, but uh, as, as you and I know, like we work on together on deciding themes uh, throughout the week, and uh, so uh, we're. With so much going on this week at the Vikings, it might, you know, people will be like asking, why don't you have appreciation about Adam Thielen, which we'll get into kind of in the next segment. But uh, but uh, I, we we developed some of the stuff uh, before today's and even yesterday's happenings happened. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's why. But regardless, I did want to uh, lead off with, as you said, Eric Kendricks is really the first domino to fall in this um bloodletting and in the Vikings uh, changing of the guard as it were. And um, Monday, Monday we woke up and, uh, or we learned that Eric Kendricks had been released. Um, The Vikings at that point, like you said, they were about 24 million, 25 million over the cap. They've got to start. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa has to start doing some stuff to get them under the cap. Uh, And like you said, not even just um, compliant with it, but uh, they probably need, I don't know. What do you think? Like maybe, they need to sh- they need to shave they need to be like they're right now they're about 6.4 million over the cap uh, to be player yeah to be players in free agency you probably have to be cut another 30 million beyond that maybe to 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 really be players so Quasey's got some still has some work to do even though he's been busy this week but uh, Eric Hendricks getting uh, released not a big surprise aging player declining production big cap hit uh, these are the guys that always get released this time of the year. Um, if you're that age at that cap hit and you're not uh, providing good value for money. So not a big surprise. We talked about this uh, several times and since this season started and he was always a cap hit, but still uh, if I don't know about how you feel about a day, but it's always, it's always, even though I think this is, this is, this is not, I think, even though I believe that this is the right move, uh, for the Vikings to do. It still always saddens me when a guy like Kendricks, who, you know, played at a high level for us, uh, was always available, very, very, um, and very, very durable, played almost all the time. When he leaves, it, it does sadden me a bit. It's a, it's, it's a bit tough to take. I don't know these guys personally, but I certainly appreciate when players are really good and they play really well for the Vikings and give it all out in the field that I appreciate that. And it's, and you know, you kind of wish it goes on forever, but it doesn't in pro sports. Uh So I wanted to, um, you know, take this segment to, we know Kendricks is gone. He's going to be playing for somebody else uh, next, next year. But uh, I just wanted to use this as an appreciation 
a segment for Eric Kendricks and just to recognize the player and even the person that he was with the Vikings during that time. And um, this is where I kind of go down memory lane a little bit, Dave, because um, if a lot of us on here, if we remember uh, back in 2014, uh, when Mike Zimmer in his first year with the team, they went seven and nine and they were rebuilding at that point. And that year we had Jas. we brought back Jasper Brinkley to play middle linebacker. Ted's, Ted's got some good stuff on there for sure. Uh, we brought back Ke- Jasper linebacker, uh, Jasper linebacker, Jasper Brinkley to play middle line, to play middle linebacker for the, for, for the Vikings in Mike Zimmer's first year here. And, you know, Jasper was an okay player, but really he was a one down, two down guy. You, you played when teams were in obvious running situations. You didn't want him on the field when they were passing because he was never very good in pass coverage. That was always his big weakness. So after the 2014 season, as we led up into the 2015 draft, the Vikings needed an upgrade at middle linebacker to really improve their defense and move on from Jasper Brinkley. And I remember uh, in 2014, I had watched some, a couple of UCL, UCLA Bruins games, and Eric Kendricks was a guy that always stood out. Uh, with playing with, with his hair on fire, making lots of impact plays, and he played middle linebacker, a position that we really needed to get better at. And I just thought then, even though I don't watch a lot of college football, and I'm not a college football scout, but I just thought this guy, this guy needs to be a Viking. He could really help us. And I was like, man, if the Vikings could draft this guy, he would solve some problems for us. And you know, there's lots of guys every year that I want the Vikings to draft, and they almost never draft them. But this time they drafted Eric Kendricks, and I was elated. And it turned out that this guy, me, I was actually right for one of the few times. And <laughs> you're right more than, often than not. Don't give yourself and, that grief. You know, in that uh, this guy was going to be a good for, player for us, and he and he was. He pretty much he didn't start right away in his rookie year, but I think he his first start was against Denver um, in that 2015 season, and he never gave up the middle linebacker spot after that. Uh, he was the guy. Uh, and, you know, um, he'll never be a Hall of Famer, but he, and he only made one Pro Bowl in 2019. He was actually first team All Pro, I believe. But middle linebacker, that's a very tough position to get All Pro nods for. There's lots of very good players there. Uh, and Especially at his in peak, style of football. Yeah. Right? And at and in, in today's game, at his peak, Eric Kendricks was one of the best, maybe the best coverage, pass coverage linebackers in the NFL. And that's something that the Vikings hadn't really had a whole lot of their time either. Uh, it, so Kendricks really filled a void. He kind of reminded me even of uh, like he did what I remember again, down memory lane. I remember in 2004 Vikings had a big hole at middle linebacker in that draft. I thought, man, EJ Henderson, he'd be a perfect fit. He'd solve our problems at middle linebacker. And lo and behold, we drafted him too. And he ended up being like a, a very He's good a, player for us. Yeah. And, 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 and really filling that middle linebacker role for us when we needed it. Um, so Eric Kendricks, you know, looking at him, just looking at his stats, um, he had 919 tackles in his eight years with the Vikings, um, 579 Rosolo, 51 pass defense, which seems like that's pretty good, 15 sacks, nine interceptions, 54 tackles for a loss, and uh, – in seven of his eight seasons with the Vikings, he played 90% of the defensive snaps or more. Uh, so he was on the field all the time, a real mainstay. 
and off the field, a really good guy too. I think he was our man of the year nominee once at least. Right. Uh, and all the work he did after yeah. um, the killing it to bring all that to attention. He, he found his voice then. He is so good for the community. It's just, he was amazing. What my memories of, of him that was so good was that the fact he could go sideline to sideline like that. Yeah. Right? We didn't see that last season. And that's one of the reasons, you know, mm-hmm. we've let him go. He got slower. But the fact that he used to be able to, if somebody was taking it out wide, a running back was taking it out wide or, or there was a screen or something like that, he could be over there like that. And he and Barr both could do that. And that was amazing because it turned what, you know, we get used to, you know, seven, eight, nine yard gain into maybe two or three. And that was it. And that was, you know, the time period when we had such good defenses. When the defense were ranked number one, we're talking 2017, 18, 19. They were just fantastic. And the ability for him to move like that was almost unheard of for a middle linebacker. And the fact that he could cover guys um, across the middle, that's, he, he stood out. It's just that it's unfortunate that we saw literally a decline. It looked physical. Now, part of that was obviously because of Ed Donatel, but it looked physical, and they made the decision to save money, get under the cap. They released him. And they gave him his day, which I think was pretty classy on part of the Vikings. Indeed. And um, and he's he's a guy that's, despite his decline last year, like you said, and, and, and maybe part of that was, uh, you wouldn't think it'd be a big issue, but maybe it was just part of it not being the middle linebacker anymore and going from a 3-4 to a 4, uh, from a 4-3 into a 3-4. And he's... Uh, inside with another inside linebacker. I don't know, you know, maybe it was just a, a difficult transition for him. And that along with the, the physical decline in his abilities just exasperated uh, his, uh, his, you know, his effectiveness for the Vikings and in this defense, but he's not going to be easy to replace. Certainly peak Eric Hendricks is not going to be easy to replace. And, um, you know, I just, I wanted to show the appreciation for what he had done and recognize what a very good player he's been. Uh, both on and off the field, being a real <clears throat> solid guy who never caused any problems, was always there for the Vikings and did a lot of stuff in the community, like you said. And uh, it was, it was, this was really the first, but this is kind of the first, that was the first knock on, on the whole transition that we kind of thought might happen last year when Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell got, uh, got uh, brought on and took over the team. Uh, but it seems to be happening this year. Uh, and, and uh, and I don't know, Dave. Like uh, with Kendricks, where do you think there's been the Vikings have had some really good linebackers oh, in yes, their in their year? <laughs> you know, the greatest of them all, Scott Scud Studwell, Matt Blair, Jeff Seaman, Fred McNeil, Wally Hilgenberg. Yeah, was outstanding. Uh, outstanding. A little bit before my time, but you know, even Ed <laughs> McDaniel, Chad Greenway. I don't, I don't know. Where do you think? Like, does Eric Kendricks deserve to be in like the top five of all time? Like, where are you? I think he's just right below it. I think he Mm -hmm. may be like number six. Yeah. Um, But it's it's a push. 
I mean, he could be up there. You're talking different eras. And yes. that is such a big deal when you're trying to compare this era versus that era. And, I mean, we talk about it all the time in quarterbacks and the numbers and different things like that. But at linebackers, it's so much different because even 20 years ago, linebackers, a middle linebacker is supposed to be that big guy with the big bulging eyes and he's all constantly watching and he's looking for a hole to crash to just obliterate a running back in. And, and you didn't think of them as pass coverage or fast to the outside. You know, granted, the defensive end was supposed to string somebody out and the corner was supposed to come up, but you never thought of it as the linebacker was supposed to do it. Not the middle linebacker, right? Outside linebacker, yeah, maybe a little bit. But you never saw it that, hey, he could keep up with wide receivers in coverage. That was unheard of. That's not how the game was played. So it is, it is tough to quantify where he goes. But, I mean, we've had so many good ones. He's got to be up there around a five-ish number, five, six. You know, you may bump him to four. I, I'd be hard to put him at four. But because we've had so many good ones. We talk about the Vikings having such great wide receivers, and that we have. But we've had some really, really, really good linebackers over the years. And he's one of them. It's just that there's a good half dozen or more that can fall in that category. I didn't even mention Roy Winston and the, the yeah. list of players, linebackers I mentioned. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, oh, the, and Ed McDaniel the, and, you know, yeah. just did mention, did mention Ed. Yeah. Yeah. But. And uh, just, there's been some good ones. And even, you know, you can go down on the list. E.J. Henderson. I love watching E.J. Henderson play. And it's yeah. un- unfortunate his career was shortened. It is just, it was so different then than it is now. And Roger, you're right. Tackle restrictions. There's a big difference from 20 years ago than there is today. And he had to play under the newer rules and couldn't obliterate people like a middle linebacker was expected to do back in the day. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The, the kind of play that epitomizes to me, like the kind of linebacker that Eric Kendricks was and the unique skills that he has. I don't know if people remember 2019. And again, that was his first team all pro year. And the only year he was uh, made the all pro team. But I don't know if people remember, we played Dallas and Dallas at the Jerry Dome. And <laughs> the end of the game, Dak Prescott throws to Zeke Elliott in the flat it was fourth down. They were deep in our territory, and Kendricks not like dove and knocked away a pass and ended the game basically right there. And, and that's the kind of play you don't see middle linebackers make very much. Uh, but that was the kind of play that Eric Kendricks made a lot, and that's that kind of showed the athletic ability and the value he had to the team when he was at his peak. Um, and Dan was asking, like, how do I feel about Jack Campbell? Dan, I don't watch much college football. But uh, and but I have heard of Jack Campbell, and with a last name like that, I am. Um, <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, what could go? Yeah, hoping he becomes a Viking. Uh, I do understand he's one of the, the you know top ranked you know one of the uh, the draft um, like guys a guy who has promise of being drafted in the inside linebacker side of things in this draft for sure. But but uh, you know I I do not know his skills intimately. <laughs> well, good. That brings us to end of theme one. And, of course, the end of theme one 
we go with our sponsor. That's Badass Wood Art. This is where we have Lewis, who makes this fabulous scroll saw art. It's almost sculpture. He does. If you want one, you can get at least, you can get 20% off with the promo code CT Pocket. Here is an old picture of his workstation, and you see there's a bunch of Vikings on that board. He can make you anything he wants. I hope, with all hope, that this week he makes a Bud Grant one, because I would love to have that and to see that. That is Lewis again with That's Badass Wood Art. Go to his website, thatbadasswoodart.com. Use CT Pocket as the promo code and get 20% off that piece. That brings us there. And now we switch to, oop, hit the wrong button. Now we go on to theme two. Here's where we get more into the bloodletting. The Red Wedding continues. The next cut, yes. Adam Thielen, another Viking who's been here since prior to uh, Mike Zimmer. 2014 to 2022, the Vikings could not come eye to eye with him, and he has been released. I wish him luck wherever he goes. Most likely it's with Aaron Rodgers, but hopefully not. We'll see. <laughs> yes, definitely hope. Definitely uh, echo those comments, Dave. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Eric Hendricks was the first kind of volley in this bloodletting, the red wedding, the, the, the transition for the Vikings and uh, releasing some of these older players who have high cap hits. Thielen was the next one yesterday that, that came out. And uh, that's another one uh, that another one that's not surprising uh, because again, his age, he'll be, he's 33 right now. He'll th turn 34 when the, at some point in the 2023 season uh, production is declining and uh, a very large cap hit. Again, those are kind of guys this time every year for every team, they get, they get let go if they're not looking to make a substantial a pay cut. Uh, uh -huh. Again, I think this, this is the, the right move for the Vikings. And it's all about, I think, uh, you know, if the Vikings had brought him back, uh, would he had had a similar season to what he had last year when he had 70 catches, over 700 yards, and uh, six touchdowns? I think it's possible he could have very well, you know, equaled or come close to those numbers. But at his cap hit, uh, are you really getting a good bang for your buck in doing that? And this is all, this kind of move is all about uh, getting, uh, you know, getting the right, uh, getting the most bang for your buck, getting good value for money and allocating your financial resources properly. Uh, like Alan Lazard with the Packers, that team from Wisconsin, uh, he had similar numbers to Adam Phelan last year. And he was making just around two million a year, or actually it was about four million a year. For that kind of production, I can live with four million. 
But if you're getting that production and you're making, you have a cap hit of almost 20 million, well, <laughs> that just ain't working for me. Uh, so that, you know, that's the, that's the reason why, again, that this is the right move for Kwesi Adolfo to, Mensa to make. It hurts Vikings fans because of all the things that we've talked about for so many years with Adam Thielen, the Minnesota boy, the, you know, the Minnesota fan, the undrafted rookie free agent who worked his way up and to become one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. That is all true, but he's not one of the best wide receivers in the NFL right now. And he's not going to, his peak is past. He's, he's not going to get that 1300 yard hundred catch season anymore. Um, th- those days are past. So the Vikings have to move on from guys like Adam Thielen and the time has come to do that. And so that's why this is the right move, even if it hurts. And the Vikings do have, whether it's KJ Osborne or Jalen Naylor, uh, you know, they have ways to address this. And if, and if you're keeping a guy like Adam Thielen on again, the whole using your financial resources mm-hmm. properly, if Adam, like if Adam Thielen probably, if, you're keeping him on at a high salary cap for the production he's giving you these days. Uh, is that helping the Vikings be a better team now, or would you, or would you be better off using the cap space they've got from releasing Adam Thielen, even if it's costing them 13.5 million in dead cap hit, if you can use the cap space that you're gaining with that and allow and that allows you to sign a player or another player who can make, uh, the Vikings better now and in the future, then that's a better use of financial resources than keeping Adam Thielen on at his current salary cap. And even, you know, even if he's a fan favorite and a Minnesota boy. So no surprise there, a tough day for a lot of Viking fans, but I think this is a tough move, but the right move for Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, now the other release, they will also release Cam Dantzler. That was a bit more surprising to me because um, Dantzler is, I think he's talented, he's young, and he's cheap. And that seems to be the kind of guy that you want to keep around if you're looking at resetting the roster and setting them up for future success. But with that, I mean, you have to admit, I have to admit, Last year, I had Dantzler as one of the breakout candidates for the Vikings. Well, he didn't break out. (laughs) Uh, And he always had trouble staying healthy. And he seemed to be able to, he seemed to get into the doghouse of Mike Zimmer. And then Kevin O'Connell, that that two successive coaching staffs, he seemed to fall out of favor with both of them. And he never really put it together in his three years, as talented as he is. Uh, So, and he showed so many flashes. Yes. and graded they were extremely well at spots. And then other games, he just stank. Yeah. And it's just you wondered why. He made, he'd make bad decisions. You know, one, one play, he'd guard the guy like he was, you know, glue. The next one, the guy would do a quick hip shuffle, go that way, and Dancer would go that way. And you wondered, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. So he had a bit of an inconsistent streak. Uh, it, 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 it does allow you to save a, the Vikings saved just over 2 million, I think, in, in cutting him. A bit of a surprise, but uh, I think that at least considering his inconsistencies, uh, obviously the coaching staff wasn't, didn't trust him. And I think what this says, it, you know, going forward anyway, does this mean that Duke Shelley is, does that improve their chances of 
of signing Duke Shelley, who took the job away from Dantzler at the end of last year. Dantzler lost his job to Duke Shelley because Duke Shelley was playing better than he was on the field. <laughs> and Duke Shelley, Duke Shelley, the Vikings got him off the waiver wire. Uh, um, so maybe this uh, getting rid of Dancer certainly helps Duke Shelley's. Uh, I, I think that Vikings are interested in resigning him, and this mm-hmm. uh, I think pr- provides. And we know extra he's roster. interested in coming back. I think that I think there's mutual interest there on both sides, and that may be helped out by the fact if the Vikings say, "Look, hey, look, Duke, we got rid of Dantzler, Uh so that one of those." starting cornerback spots on the outside is yours to lose at this point for a guy like Duke Shelley, who's never been guaranteed anything that would probably be pretty appealing to him. I think. Well, I would love to see him transition to the slot. Yes. You mentioned that before. uh Uh-huh. But we've got other corners that are competing as well. That's right. I think that also with dancer going, that says that it, it, I think it, in it, Will in uh, it means Duke Shelley's chances of resigning with the Vikings probably is as opt a bit the, the mm-hmm. percentages of that. I think uh, Caleb Evans is a guy that is now going to have a chance to compete for a starting spot. I think that also goes, of course, for Andrew Booth Jr. Uh, both of those guys are going to be given an opportunity by Brian Flores and the Vikings defensive coach of staff to say, Hey guys, Cam Dancer isn't back, have at her. Here's your chance to be the starting cornerbacks for us this year. So I think that that bodes well for them. And also it prob this is probably increases the certainly the speculation come draft time that the Vikings are going to. They've already been, if you look at a lot of mock drafts, you see cornerbacks slotted at number 23 to the Vikings all the time. A lot. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody like Deontay Banks is often mocked to the Vikings. Joey Porter Jr., lots of other guys. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, this certainly increases the uh, chances that the Vikings go corner at 23 if they stay there. The fact that they got rid of Cam Dantzler. Which will drive. And we don't, and we don't know. It's crazy. If, it will. And we don't know if Patrick Peterson is coming back to the Vikings either. Which is true, too. But there's been talked about interest on both sides on that one, too. So we don't know. But – all that needs all that fall. We're talking about the corners, right? And dancer being released. We still got to get below the salary cap, so that if Patrick Peterson comes back, we can pay him. If another like uh, G Mac was talking about a sign a good veteran corner, they could pay him. You know, whoever it is, we need space underneath the cap to have money to do just that. Duke Shelley, for that matter. He yep. may not earn a lot of money. However, I think he's going to earn a little bit more money than he made last year. But he's not he going to earn a tremendous amount more. And you need space to do that. You need money. Got to open and up the, the bank. And the Vikings did some minor stuff to, you know, their Quasi mm-hmm. Adolfo is chipping away. Ross Blacklock took a pay cut this week, which saves about 600000 bucks in cap space. Does Blacklock even make the team this year? I don't know, but he's at least they've at least uh, uh, shaved a little bit of cap space, and there's probably uh, guys like Blacklock all over the roster that Quasi Dofamens is trying to target. To Chris Reed's another. Today we just learned that he restru- they restructured his contract, so he's take a, took a pay cut, and uh, that gives the Vikings an extra one million in cap space. Gets them down to about 
Uh, right now, currently, there's 6.4 million approximately take mm -hmm. or leave, you know, a couple hundred thousand over the cap right now. So those are kind of minor moves. People say no biggie, but it, it helps the Vikings get cap compliant. Every penny uh, helps. And then every penny helps. The other big stuff, the the rumors, now we're getting into the things that haven't happened uh, in the past week. And the big thing, one of the first big things we heard, of, which really surprised me, is that there's been a trade offer, at least one, for Dalvin Cook. And uh, surprised me because, again, his age, 28, he's getting a bit old for running back, high cap hit, uh, declining production last year. If you look at advanced you know, analytics, uh, metrics, that, that sort of stuff, he wasn't favorably uh, rated as a running back to those more advanced stats. So I was surprised. I'd be, I was surprised to hear that a team, some teams, I thought there'd be no trade interest in cook because uh, yeah, but he seems if he comes out, if they release him, he will be the number one rated free agent running back in free agency. And sure. they're, they're looking at, Hey, he, yes, he just had soldier shoulder surgery. Right. And he'd been playing with that for three years. Now, if it's finally fixed, how much better does he play, right? Does he get better? You know, you and I may think, ah, yeah, you know, Davin's good, but he's not. Doesn't seem to be as explosive as he used to. Um, you know that he always used to have that. If he got through the line, he could burst it and go, and it could be a touchdown from wherever on the field. It didn't matter. He had that ability. Well, we only saw that a couple times last year. And you're wondering, well, you know, could it be that, you know, he's got a shoulder in his brace, he's not feeling it, whatever it is. But there may be teams that say, no, we think we can. We think he's that good and can still be that good for another another couple of years, and we're willing to trade for it. If I'm the Vikings, and I'd be like, let's sign the paperwork, he's yours. But uh I agree, Dave. I guess the reason I'm surprised and, and all of what you said is true. Uh, and w w like, again, uh, let's just say, uh, got to give yes. Cook some props for playing with a broken shoulder for the last two years. <laughs> like you, you, you got to be pretty tough to do that and perform at the level. He, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And perform at the level he did. But anyway, I'm just, the Vikings have a, with the Vikings, the situation to me is is for, with Cook, and we talked about it before. Is that they they keep him at a reduced salary, or they're going to release him? So I don't know why, as a team, as other teams know this. So I'm surprised that they they maybe I know if you trade for him, then you're guaranteed of getting him. Whereas if he's in the free agent market, then you don't you got to outbid somebody. So there's uncertainty there. But it just usually if NFL teams know somebody's going to get released or there's a good chance they're going to be released, they don't tend to trade for that player, I think. So that's why I'm right. surprised. Right, until he's released. And then that's why I'm surprised that there would be a trade offer for him. But uh, this all came out from Doogie Wolfson, uh, Scoop, Scoop Wolfson saying this. Uh, but the Vikings have not acted on that trade <laughs> request so far. So uh, that that might that might let. And I talked several weeks ago about how I thought that the Vikings weren't quite ready to move on from Cook. That you know, there's a they're not really sure with Kenny Wangwu or Ty Chandler whether they're ready for a full primetime role yet, and they don't really have the draft capital to draft a running back. I think. Uh, at least presently right now. So mm -hmm. keeping Cook another year, uh, they might be more comfortable doing that. Maybe that's why they haven't acted on this trade offer. But I'm like you, Dave, if if you're getting offered a fifth or a fourth or whatever for Cook and you're, you're going to eventually, 
<laughs> you're going to eventually release him and get nothing for him, then trade him. Because <laughs> that's, that's the eventual outcome of this, whether it happens this year or next year anyway. Cook is going to get released at the salary cap he's at now. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Uh, anyway, so there is a speculation. We'll have to see if anything comes out of that in the next few days. The other big thing, you uh, preempted it. You uh, gave a sneak preview, Dave, of it already. But yeah. Zedarius Smith. Zedarius uh-huh. Smith tweet, went on social media thanking Viking fans, Skull Nation, for a great year, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, he wants to be released from the Vikings, probably because he doesn't like his contract. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've always felt that the way the contract was structured and the way that Zedarius kind of faded in the last eight, nine games of last year, that he was kind of a one-and-done guy with the Vikings anyway. But again, the Vikings, according to Ian Rappaport from – NFL.com, the Vikings have got this release request from Zedaria Smith, and they are not um, willing to uh, part with him just yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so, and uh, we we know that Zedaria Smith seems like he's a guy in the Brian Flores defense that Brian Flores could really use and really uh, maximize his impact on the team. Not that he didn't have a great impact last year, but Brian Flores could could he could do some good work with Zadarius Smith. And if you get rid of Zadarius Smith, who are you replacing him with? Again, I don't know if Patrick Jones and and DJ Wanham, they are not going to give you the level of play that Zadarius Smith can. So uncertainty. Yeah, he there. was a top twenty edge rusher this year, even yeah. with the knee contusion. We just talked about that one uh in previous shows. He's good. I just wondered and I heard that basically the contract he played on la- under last year was uh, basically a handshake agreement between them that, yes, he'd take that money, but it's going to be a one-year deal, even though it was written as a three-year contract. And he still believes that. Whereas the Vikings, under new management, however, it's the the new ones that signed it, said, uh, oh, no, we want to keep you, and we want to keep you for what we had signed you for. And we may have some butting of heads when it comes to Z on that issue. So it's going to be interesting. Yes, because if you've got a player who is not happy with his salary cap, with his salary situation, with his contract situation, and he's requested a release and the team does not uh, acquiesce to that request, uh, like you said, uh, that can cause some friction between the organization and the player. Zedaria Smith, who well, by all, who seemed outwardly to be a great locker room influence great leader, very outwardly positive guy, a guy who brought teammates together. But if he's not happy with what he's getting paid, that can change quite quickly in a hurry. And that can really screw up a locker room as well. And the harmony that, that, that right. is in that locker room. Well, and I think he thinks because he did have a decent season last year and he did even past the knee contusion. Yes. We saw the slowdown. There's a huge difference between the first games and the second half games once he had the knee contusion, but he was still good. I, I, think he, I think he wants that chance to get out there and get one last big payday because he knows he's getting up there in age. Yeah. And, and to go do that. And I fully understand. It's uh, It is what it is, Doug. Why is everyone worried? Um, I'm not think- worried. Folks are that worried. But that um, brings us to all these moves are for one purpose. 
championship standard, baby. Um, and we haven't even talked about how Doogie Wilson was also uh, early in the week talking about how Harrison Smith is a release candidate. And we're going to get, I don't want to talk we'll too get much into about that. that we talk we're, safeties we're, next. We're going to get into it with safeties, but uh, that was also something that came out the past couple of days. But the reason why the Vikings, if you, if you, if you go over all the players that the Vikings have either released already or are rumored to be releasing other than Zadaria Smith, all of these guys are guys that were not drafted or brought in by Quasi Adolfo Mensa or Kevin O'Connell. Uh, and, this is the slow, like gradual, or maybe not so slow and gradual transition from the Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer team that the mm-hmm. Vikings were to the Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell Vikings team that we're going to see in 2023 and beyond. Uh, the bloodletting and getting rid of guys that Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin, that aren't Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Adolfo Mensa guys, those guys are going to slowly get cut and culled from this roster. It happened last year with a lot of the 2021 draft class, and it's going to continue to happen this year and into training camp and into beginning of next, uh, the start of the regular season when the roster gets cut down again. You're going to see more of those Spielman Zimmer guys gone from this roster. I agree. That brings us to the end of theme two. And of course, what does that mean? Beer. Beer time. And today I'm drinking beer. I wish it was a lake monster, but I'm out. Matt, you hear me? I'm out. Um, <laughs> there's uh and I know Darren's out too. Anyway. I've been out for months. <laughs> we are sitting there talking. There's nothing new from last week. Again, we have uh, the new... Uh, um, Key Lime Pie Ale, he's featuring that. That came out on the newsletter this morning or yesterday. There it is. Beautiful. Um, On tap is the exact same Key Lime Pie, like I featured last week. Also, the Rare Species 4.0. If you're a a dark IPA drinker like I am, the Rare Species is absolutely outstanding. But what's great about Lake Monster Brewing is that you can go over to the brewery it's over in St. Paul, just across the river from Minneapolis. Easy to find. You get Ubers there, whatever. It's a piece of cake. The beer is absolutely fantastic, and the company is even better. So if you like beer and you live in the Twin Cities area, by all means, take in the event and the great people that are at Lake Monster Brewing. And if you're within the Vikings viewing area... Go check out your local uh, establishments that sell beer as a product, and you can find Lake Monster there for purchase. And my plan is to – I've never been to a Vikings game live, Dave, and my plan is to do that in 2023. And if that happens, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the places I'm going to visit is Lake Monster. Lake, Lake Monster Brewing on Saturday. Absolutely. I couldn't. I'd love that too. I'd love to go. I still want to see a game in the bank. I have not done that yet. I've got tickets waiting for me. All I got to do is ask. It's just uh, old Dave is probably going to be moving from Austin, Texas this summer or this fall and won't be able to make it this year, but I want to so badly. That brings us to theme three. Here we're talking state of the Vikings, the safeties. In this case, I'm only showing one 
because why not? He's a star. He's a stud. He's one of the best Vikings safeties we have ever had, and we've had some good ones. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm saying he's one of the best. Mr. Harrison Hitman Smith. And this is the first uh, unit. Uh, we're, we've we've done all the offensive units in previous weeks, mm-hmm. and that, David, and now we're moving on to the defense, and safeties is, is first up. And this is also going to be the last um, – positional unit analysis we're going to do before free agency starts. So mm-hmm. uh, from here on, after this week, uh, the spec, the things we've been speculating, uh, we're, we're actually a lot of, some of that's going to be no longer be speculating things. Right. The Vikings will actually have taken action on some of these things and we'll have a clearer idea about uh, what the Vikings, uh, uh, you know, how those certain positional units are going to look. And we'll also find out like, how wrong I was in a lot of the things that I was predicting. Well, I can't Almost wait till so we get to special teams because that means yeah. we'll have gotten through all the defense and we're down to special teams. And hopefully we'll have a kicker and a long snapper by then. Yeah, that's true. But uh, but so safeties is the first one I wanted to get at with the defense. And it all starts with Harrison Smith and what the Vikings are going to do about that guy. Uh, you've got his PFF grades up there this year. I think uh, he was, um, you know, it would be, it would be, wrong to say Harrison Smith uh, had a bad year in 2022. He had five interceptions, which was tied for tied for the team lead with Patrick Peterson. Um, his, he, I think he was ranked about like you've got up there 37th out of 88 safeties who played a certain amount of snaps. Mm-hmm. So um, the issue is, is that, you know, that's not bad. That's solid, I think. But mm-hmm. the issue with, with Harrison Smith is, is that he's actually got the second highest cap hit of any NFL safety Kevin Byard from the ten- Tennessee Titans is the only guy with a higher cap hit than Harrison Smith's, which is $19.1 million for this year. Uh, that's $8.7. That, if, if that hap- would stay the way it was, if he stayed on the team at that cap hit, that would be 8.7% of the Vikings' total cap space, which is a tremendous amount for him. And last year, again, uh, and last year he – let's just say – the hitman was underutilized in Ed Donatel's. <laughs> That's an defense. understatement. When Ed Donatel said, Oh no, we're not going to blitz you. We're not going to put you in the box. You're just going to sit way back here yep. and you're going to play center field. You're going to sit 20 yards back, but coach stuff happens within 10 yards. Now you're going to sit way back here. That, that was the most asinine stuff. And it's one of the things that caused us, to bitch, complain almost weekly about what in the world is Donatel doing? And it led almost directly to uh, his being, Donatel, that is, being released after the season. Thank you. You've had a nice long career. We're moving on elsewhere. Then a few weeks later, welcome Brian Flores, who knows how to use that man. And when Flores got hired, that was a, a lot of thoughts that you go to Rand Donatel, who didn't blitz use Harry Hitman on blitzes at all. I think it was only ten or twelve blitzes all season that Hitt- Harrison Smith was sent on. Which is and silly. He should have. And this was the first year. Twenty twenty two was the first year, other than two thousand and thirteen, when Harrison Smith only played half of the season. That Harrison Smith did not have a sack 
in an in, in a year. He had zero sacks last year. He never got sent on any blitzes. He was 20 yards down the field. He was never at the line of scrimmage. All the things that Mike Zimmer used to do with Harrison Smith, Ed Donatel did not do those things with Harrison Smith. So Harrison Smith was not used in the way that he's normally been used in the way that he's been used very effectively in the past. Still, mm-hmm. 19.1 million cap hit, Dave, 34 years old. Do I think that he could still, is he still a, you know, an effective player? Yes. But again, bang for the buck, value for money, using your, your financial resources to the maximum that you can. If Harrison Smith at 19.1 million, yeah, he can help your defense, but he plays safety. Even Brian Flores coming in, the speculation has been that he'll know how to use Harrison Smith. He, you know, he'll be more aggressive with him. He'll have him up in the line of scrimmage. He'll have him doing different things. And I understand that that's all the case. And we're hearing, again, it's rumors that Flores wants Harrison Smith in this defense. But I just think unless Harrison Smith is willing to take a huge pay cut, and I don't think that he is. Then- well, there's been, there's been talk that he is open to a pay cut, and they've been talking. The question is, is it? Is his idea of a pay cut and the Vikings' idea yes. of a pay cut, are the they compatible yeah. and within reason? And the latest news is from Doogie is that they aren't quite meeting, and that may mean. But they still haven't. They still haven't released him, which no. which they did with Thielen and Kendricks early in the week. So there is hope if you're a big Harrison Smith fan, and I am. But I just feel that the way this is going is that Harrison Smith, if if you can't keep him at the cap hit, he is that. And if what you what you you could save. million if you released him before a free agency starts. And if that allows you to sign again, one or two players at more impactful positions on the defense than safety, then keeping him, then again, that's the whole value for money and using your financial resources properly. You're getting younger, you're getting, you're setting yourself up team for uh, to be uh, just as good in 2023 and to be successful beyond 2023. Mm-hmm. I just think that Harrison Smith is not going to be a Viking when things are all said and done in another five or six days, which leaves a big hole in the, I hope in not. the, I hope he's in, there. in the safety position. If Harrison Smith isn't there. And the reason that I think the Vikings will do that is because they do have younger, cheaper options who can give them value for money at the safety position. And one of them is this guy, Lewis Seen. We know his rookie season was a wash. He didn't beat out Cameron Bynum for a starting position, which was concerning. And then he, he had that uh, compound fracture, that nasty broken Mm -hmm. leg injury, but he's apparently everything recovery wise his training. He's been attacking it and everything's going well on that side. But Lewis Seen is a guy who's got, the goods, the athletic ability, the nasty streak, the aggressiveness, the tackling ability. He's got that kind of ability that I think Brian Flores can really use and maximize. And the Vikings didn't pick him 32nd overall to stand on the sidelines two years in a row. Right. He's going to be starting. He's going to be starting next year unless he totally, totally is terrible. And I don't think from what you saw at Georgia, that's going to be the case. And Brian Flores has talked about how he wants players who can do multiple things. Well, Lewis Seen is that guy. He can cover receivers underneath. You uh, can play up at the line of scrimmage. You can put him back. He's got the athletic ability, the nasty streak, all the things that I think Flores likes. And I think Flores can really bring out the best in him. 
So he's a guy that that is going to be starting next year, either strong safety or free safety. He, right, he'll be he's one of the a hybrid type of player that can is almost a safety linebacker type. Um, I sort of equate him to Brian Asamoah, who can shoot and fast. Right, he's sort of the safety version of Brian Asamoah. Um, hopefully, he's learned quite a bit in the off season, studied all his stuff. He, we know they had a injury update this week, um, and he is on target to be ready for off off season training stuff. Per, uh, PNG uh, Mary is going to join us late. She already passed me a message. She's out. Uh, I've not talked to her since. She's going to be hit hard by today's news. I guarantee it. But thank you for bringing her up. That brings us to the next guy. Well, yes. Last year's starter opposite Harrison Smith, of course, was Cam Bynum. You've got his grades on there. Um, Not very good grades. And Mm -hmm. he ranked poorly by PFF. And also, in my mind, in in the eye test as well. He's a, he's a guy that, um, you know, coming out of California, he didn't have the speed, right? Uh, and that's why they switched him over to safety. Uh, but that wasn't going to be as big a concern at safety. But I, I just feel that that Bynum was a guy whose his starting job is in jeopardy. He played 1,200 snaps last year. He was on the field all the time. The most he, out of anybody on yeah. the defense. But he – and he was healthy. But he just didn't play very well, and which is – a bit disappointing because in his rookie year, small sample size, but the couple of games that he started, he had that sack against the against the, the Los Angeles Chargers of Justin Herbert. He had a big interception against Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. He looked promising, but last year, not so promising. And so I think that his starting job is in jeopardy. You can do better than Cam Bynum. And who would that be? Well, it might be Josh Metellus. I love yeah, Bynum's no. heart. Uh, he's got a good and he's and he's a super smart guy, mm-hmm. a student of the game. Uh, so maybe last year was just again maybe the system. Maybe it was Ed Donatello. We'll find right. out. Maybe the system. That experiment's over. Yes, but jo- Josh Metellus is a guy. I don't. When you look at his PFF grades, uh, they are excellent, mm-hmm. but very small sample size. Two hundred and sixty-one defensive snaps overall. Two sixty-three, but yes. Yeah, yeah. It's can figure it, out of twelve hundred snaps ish. Mm-hmm. But when it, even though they're small sample size, when he did play last year, he was effective. Uh, he showed an ability to cover again wide receivers across the field. Something that was considered a weakness, I think, when we drafted him out of Minnesota. Uh, sorry, out of Michigan back in twenty twenty. But if you're looking at again, but the price is right. He's young. He's only got a cap hit of a million bucks. And, and can he give you the level of play at that rate of pay uh, that's not too far off from what Harrison Smith or Cameron Bynum can do? I think there's an argument to be made for that. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Metellus is starting opposite of Lewis Seen in 2023. Mm-hmm. Now, if the, still, uh, if you're the Vikings – and you got Lewis Seen, Cameron Bynum, and Josh Metellus as your three top safeties. The only other guy on the roster right now is Theo Jackson. He was just all special teams last year. He's young, but well, he it's had really 19 un- snaps. Yeah. It's really unknown what he can do, if anything. Maybe he'll show him in training camp. Who knows? But uh, it, it, you probably want to 
add to the safety depth mm-hmm. beyond that. The from what I'm reading, people can might disagree, but from what I'm reading, the safety, the draft class for safety this year is pretty weak. Um, and the Vikings don't have right now have only five picks. I don't see them with all their other needs. If they stay around the five, six pick range that they have, I think they will get more, but they've got a lot of needs. I don't think safety is something that they're really going to target in the draft, especially with the draft flat class being as weak as it apparently is, but free agency, there are some options. Uh, Yogi Howard uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, but one guy to keep an eye on, I think is Eric Rowe from the dolphins. He's a free agent, uh, not young, uh, he'll, he's 30 now and he'll turn 31 in October, but Flores knows him very well. Flores was a safeties coach in new England in two, 2015 when Eric Rowe was there. When Flores became the head coach in Miami in 2019, Eric Rowe signed with the dolphins and he was there the whole time Flores was the head coach. So there's a lot of familiarity with Eric Rowe. He's a free agent. His cap hit last year was $5 million. He had a not a great year with the Dolphins as far as he only played about 50% of their snaps. I don't think that his cap hit is going to get higher than $5 million. So he's he's a veteran. He's, he'd be affordable. Flores knows him well. Rowe knows Flores. I think that that might be, if you're looking for a veteran and you've moved on from Harrison Smith and you're looking for a veteran to add some leadership and some competition to the safety uh, room, I think that he's a potential guy that the Vikings could target again, because of his, his ties and familiarity with Florida's Flores familiarity with, with him. Flores's system. Yeah. Uh, and the other guy that we talked about a bit last week is that Patrick Peterson, right? <laughs> yes. Pat P may move back to safety. That may be one of the reasons why Brian Flores wants him, which is a great transition. I would think. Yeah, and it, it makes sense if if Patrick Peterson, who really thrived in in the zone type based defensive system that Ed Donatel used last year, where you're not turning your back to the quarterback and chasing a wide receiver and mirroring him, but you're you've got your eyes on the quarterback and you're playing zones, that really worked for Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson has talked about how he loved that defensive philosophy and safety with Patrick Peterson not being having again being behind 10, however, 15 yards back from the line of scrimmage, being able to read the quarterback's eyes, being able to survey the field and coverages and see what safety seems like. The young quarterbacks and everybody else. And, hey, this is what you're looking for, dot, dot, dot. Let's go. Now, now Patrick Peterson seems a very prideful guy who – I think still believes that he can play cornerback at a high level. And and if he's, and if, and he can point to last year in 2022 and saying, look, I can still be a top cornerback in the NFL. I don't know how amenable he would be to moving to safety, but, but it's, it's something that has been talked about and it's something that makes sense as well. Mm -hmm. If you, if you look at where Peterson is in his career right now and what he does well and what his athletic toolbox is. Hall of Famers that have done that. Woodson is one of the I can think of. And GMAC, yes, safety should like tackling. Uh, Harrison Smith obviously does to the fact that he gets ejected on occasion because the referees and the rules are stupid. Um, <laughs> it's just the way it is. But that brings us to the end of the safeties, which is normally the end of the show, but not today. 
Mm-hmm. We're going on to theme four. In this one, first off, I wanted to talk. This is about Bud Grant. We all learned the news today that Bud Grant passed away this morning. Bud Grant had been the coach early on in the Vikings. Tenure all the way up through till he got called back in 85, did that season, and he retired. Bud Grant, in a lot of Minnesota's Minnesotans' eyes, was a legend. Absolute legend. He did win the NFL championship in 1969. Now, we lost the Super Bowl to the Chiefs, and I think there was cheating involved, but anyways, that's the story. (laughs) But he was there. This is the time we are going to commemorate Bud Grant, and this is one of my first art pieces, digital art pieces that I played with. That's what you're seeing right now. But I want to bring us back into our screen. I do want to bring up Kevin Seifert today talked about how Coach Kevin O'Connell would go and meet Bud Grant almost weekly in his office and talk all sorts of things. And even Bud Grant, I saw in an interview, said he's not generally talking football. He's talking other things, leadership and stories about this and just different life stuff. But they would talk. And I hope KOC learns, you know, takes his own tidbits from that and learns and can become as great as Bud Grant is is and was to the Vikings. It is, uh, it will help him because Bud, the one thing he could do and if you look at all the tributes by all the old players, was Bud was fair. Bud may get on you, right? And Bud, you know, we always know old stony face there on the sideline. In an emotional sport, you know, I always thought, well, stony face. I couldn't stand uh, the Dallas coach. Back Tom Landry. Day, Tom Landry, because he was just, you know, he's in his fedora and he's all never exhibited emotion. Well, Bud, even though we called him old stony face, and, but he would exhibit emotion, and he cared so deeply about his players, and he cared what they portrayed. He believed and loved in his country, and it, it, it breaks our heart. For us old folks, and guys, I'm going to be 60 this year, right? So I am the, whether you call me last of the boomers, first of the Gen Xers, I grew up with Bud. So this this has hit a lot. But are there any Bud stories or memories that you'd like to hit on, Darren? There, there are a couple. And um, for me, Dave, I'm 53 right now. I'll turn 54 this summer. So a bit younger than you, but we're still two <laughs> old bloggers. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, uh, I grew up in a place called St. Peter's. Nova Scotia, Cape Breton Island. Look it up, Google it if you want. Um, in in can in Canada, right? And um, I've told this story to you before. Um, we didn't we didn't have cable TV at home. We didn't get cable TV cable TV, which is like some U.S. stations until uh, 1985. And so the uh, the only we the only football we'd see was Canadian Football League football until their season was over. Then, which would be about 
week 12 or week 13 of the NFL season. And then they'd show NFL games, which is, I didn't, which is basically saying um, I didn't get to see a lot of Vikings games when I was before the age of 13, 14. And, uh, and I didn't get to see like you did. I didn't get to witness the Vikings at their peak under Bud Grant in those early 70s teams. I, you know, I vaguely remember the 76 Super Bowl and the 76 NFC Championship game when they beat the Rams and Bobby Bryant blocking the field goal and all that stuff. But that's not really ingrained in my memory. I did get more familiar with the Vikings, uh, like basically by 79, 83. Mm-hmm. By that time, the Vikings were on the downward slide, right? They weren't dominant anymore. But um, people... Uh, again, uh, how did I become a Vikings fan? It's kind of a dumb thing. I I judged it on football helmets. What football helmet I liked the most, and it came down to came down to the San Diego Chargers, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Minnesota Vikings. And I decided that horn that was the one that I liked the most. Mm-hmm. So I was going to cheer for that team. But, but. Uh, so that's how I became a Vikings fan and decided I was going to cheer for them. But as I looked into the team a bit more as I was a kid, what solidified my Viking fanship was the fact that Bud Grant, most people know this, but that he had been an all time, he had been a great Canadian football league wide receiver and a legendary football coach with the Winnipeg blue bombers and won numerous great cups. And so you know, Minnesota, it just, the whole team where they're situated, they're on the border with Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Uh, the fact that Joe Cap and Bud Grant had such a, like a, they had a played in the CFL first. That's really way, where they made their bones that gave the, you know, Canadian connection to me that really solidified for me that the Minnesota Vikings playing in a cold weather town, mm-hmm. you know, Canadian kid, Bud Grant, CFL legend, that just solidified for me that the Minnesota Vikings were the right team for this guy to cheer for. So that's the connection that I, Bud Grant gave to me. And that's and the reason I'm a Vikings fan is really greatly because of Bud Grant and what he did in the CFL. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Winnipeg yeah. was, you know, like I've said before, I was stationed in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Winnipeg was just up the highway. Um, yeah. And they they loved him up there. He was absolutely uh, great. Won four, what was it, four uh, Canadian Cups? Um, he won five. Five, five. great Cups. They great made, Cups, yes. They, they were in seven. Uh, that, was, that was amazing. And and for, for the younger crowd, as I'm aging myself as the Gen Xer type that I am, um, they remember – the playoff game in 2015 at uh, TCF Bank Stadium when the Seattle Seahawks came to play. It's negative nine degrees Fahrenheit for you, Darren. Um, yep. Below zero, colder than shit, right? Teddy Bridgewater's leading that team. But who walks out there at the beginning of the game to do the coin flip? But Bud Grant, right? Everybody's freezing. People from Seattle are all bundled up. It's an outdoor stadium. Thank God we played in outdoor stadiums at different times, both at the Met and the TCF Bank. Everybody's bundled up. And he walks out there in a golf shirt, one that I happen to uh, own, the same type. 
nine degrees below zero, short sleeve golf shirt, and he, you know, walks on out there to do the coin flip. They just epitomized the strength that the man had, the whole, it's all in the mind willpower he had. And he would do that when playing at the old Met and it's just freezing cold and the wind's blowing and Odin, the statue of Odin's blowing back and forth. The crowd's yelling, Odin, Odin, Odin. He's on there and his players are sitting there and they're clapping their hands, right? One of the reasons to clapping their hands is to keep them warm. But yeah. they don't have a heater on their sideline, right? The And and they're sharing a sideline with the opposing team. The op- opposition has heaters, and they're all huddled around the heaters and the heater bench and all that crap, right? And he's like, nah. We're and it was all psychological, and he showed that you could win. And, and he did that, and that was just unbelievable that he could do that. It's just the strength he had, and he imparted on the team, and such great players. For, uh, you can go list them. Fran Tarkington, um, White. Uh, go on the list. Um, there's a huge list of how many people he affected. The purple people leaders, everybody else, and there's tributes. If if you have the chance, look on Facebook, look on Twitter at some of the tributes from these old players. They're missing him. They're hurting badly today because he passed away. Yes, he was 95 years old. We knew it wouldn't last forever. He's yeah. had a great, great life. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard to see. Now, my story is, I lived in Minneapolis when I was five and six. I went to my first game when I was six, 1969. They were playing the Bears. My dad's was a Bears fan. We went to the Met. I have memories of sitting in the Met and seeing the people all bundled up. It was in November all bundled up and drinking out of their flasks and yelling and cheering, right? And I don't, and I have, you know, quasi greatest memories of what's happened on the field. That, uh, that's what got me into it. My folks were going through a divorce at the time. We got split. The one thing that kept me going was I would be sent to my room quite a bit. I did have a black and white TV back in the day. They'd give me to keep me entertained while I was in the TV uh, back then. And there was usually two things I watched. I watched war movies and I watched Vikings football and I watched Bud Grant on his show. And I would follow the football. I didn't know. I didn't com- comprehend it like I do today. It didn't even come close. But I knew that I liked it. And then over the next years, my folks got divorced and I moved on. Anytime I could watch Vikings football, I'd watch Vikings football. And who was there on the sideline? Always. Didn't matter who was on the field doing what. Was Bud Grant standing there and coaching and getting these players to do the best they can. Bud Grant, for me, was my sanctuary, was my my heartbeat of what was real, what I liked. And him being a coach meant a lot. And then, you know, he eventually retires. Then he comes back in 85 
because um, Les Steckel was an absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> comes back in 85, works with Bernsey, and then eventually turns it over to Bernsey. He was there. Now, 85, I was in England, right? I joined the Air Force. I was in England. Um, I didn't get back to North Dakota until 87. But when we get back, Bud is still part of the team. He had an office at Winter Park, right? And then when they moved to England or moved to Egan, he had an office there. He's always been a fixture of the Minnesota Vikings and the Minnesota Vikings um, family, if you want to call it that, of all of us fans, not only of the team, not only of the players, not only of the coaches, I'm sure even Mike Zimmer will tell you stories of talking with Bud Grant. He was always there, but he was there for me when I was young and my folks were going through a divorce. I always watched him and I always want to be him. And it was just the strength he exuded and the caring and the compassion he had for his players and for his folks hit me. That's that's the way I wanted to be, right? I wanted to be that way, whether it be coaching or whether it be in the military. And my life choice was to join the military. Um, it It meant a lot. He meant a lot to the whole state of Minnesota. He is a legend as big as Paul Bunyan and his blue ox when it comes to Minnesota. When it comes to Winnipeg, right? He led that. The only thing he never did was win the Super Bowl. And we and we wish, God, we wish, please, that we would win one before we die, but before he dies. Well, obviously that didn't come to pass. So I hope we go out there and win one soon so that he can watch upon high that the Vikings, that he helped establish, even though he wasn't the first coach, but establish who they are, their being, um, hits. And I hope he gets it. Now, I know he passed this morning. 95 years old, right, Freddie, is a good long life, and he had a good life, and he had some great kids. But you know, today he probably went up to heaven, and who's the first person to meet him up there? It's probably Sid Hartman with his microphone and his tape recorder and going, here, I'm going to introduce you to God. God, I've written on this guy a lot. He is a great man. So that is what... Bud Grant meant to me. That's why it is hard today for me. I it's hard hard for a lot of Vikings fans, Dave. And I think uh, it's a couple other things just to add to it. To, and that was awesome what you shared there. Uh, thanks for doing that. Is uh, I like b- before Bud Grant got the the coaching job. Uh, the Vikings were garbage <laughs> under, <laughs> like, under Norm Van Brocklin. I don't know, like if 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 Bud Grant doesn't come along and do what he did, I don't know if the Vikings would still be in Minnesota. That's one thing to keep mm-hmm. in mind. Yes. Uh, and the, the other thing that was always admired about Bud Grant was that uh, I remember seeing he was interviewed by Sports Illustrated like 
when he was like 86 or 87 or mm-hmm. something like that. And they talked about him about the state of the game, even in his late eighties and nineties, like you said, he had a, he had, he had an office at Egan. He had always had an office in the Vikings, but he was still uh, very invested in the, the state of the, of football, of the NFL and in improving the game. I remember that sports illustrated uh, interview where he talked about the extra point, how it was a nothing play and how they had to do something to change that and make that more of a, of a, a play that mattered. And I don't know if he had a big influence on that, but the, but the NFL has did obviously change and move the extra point back. So it wasn't just an automatic point all the time. So that really was something you had to respect about Bud is that he had a love of football and it was invested in, in making sure the game was still relevant and that it, it improved and moved with the times, even when he was in his eighties and nineties. And I just know at 53, like there's stuff I don't give a shit about anymore that I used to give a shit a lot about mm-hmm. when I was 20, right? Like for him to care about the football that much in his eighties and nineties is, well, I just don't know what to say about it other than like, it's like, that's very unique. Yes, it is. Without a doubt. That brings us to the last point of this. Um, I've got one story uh, more that's not mine. I just want to report on it. Many folks know Bud Grant as coach of the Minnesota Vikings. They know them of the coaches of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They know him as playing for University of Minnesota, right? They know him as a Los Angeles Laker. He played the NBA before he came into the football. But they don't know that uh, Bud Grant was enlisted in the Navy in 1945. He was training to be um, a crew member on a landing ship, right? And in 1945, those landing ships were invading the islands as we're creeping closer to Japan. He, tra- he trained at Treasure Island Naval Air S- or Naval Station in California. The war came to an end before he saw combat, but he was in the Navy. He was a sailor. He went from there to the Great Lakes Naval Training Center in Chicago, if I remember correctly, in Illinois. Went from there to there as... The force started to draw down, even though he was training more sailors, because we didn't know what was happening immediately after victory in Japan Day. The World War was over, we all thought, but, you know, the military was still doing his thing. He did play football there on the Great Lakes Naval Training Center's team, the Blue Jackets. At that time, he was coached by Navy Lieutenant Paul Brown. That name sounds familiar. It should. That is the great Paul Brown, the one that went on to coach the Browns, the team that was named after him, right? That Paul Brown, NFL legend, coached him at in Chicago. From there, he went to Minnesota, played football and basketball. Um, He got drafted and drafted by the NBA, selected the NBA, came out of the NBA, went um, and played a little football himself, and then went to become a coach with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 
After that, the Vikings and the history is known. But um, the big thing to me was he served. And you saw that in how he coached. And I just wanted to say, as most military folks do, I want to honor that memory. He was a great man, and he will be missed. But we honor that. To Bud Grant. To Bud Grant. With that, we close the show. Folks, we want to wish Bud Grant a wonderful eternal rest. Skull forever. And as always, Skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best. Vikings content can be found and to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.